Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. This is Saturday morning, January 22nd, 2022. It was 49 years ago this day that one of the most atrocious, perhaps the one of the top three worst decisions our Supreme Court has ever made, declared there is a legal right for anyone to get an abortion in America. And I'd like to speak about this a bit today and ask who's going to prevail in 2022. Will the pro-life position or the pro-choice position? Notice I didn't just say which law will prevail. And as Christians, we believe the law is important and the law of the land does matter. But that's not all that matters. And actually, we need to and have, have, and I believe try to, and must remember that we must focus on a person's heart and what it is in the culture that would allow such a atrocious thing to have been happening for the last 49 years in our country. That's as much as long as many of us have been alive, or at least have been adults. Since 1973, in that Roe v. Wade decision, it's estimated there have been over 62 million abortions. And I hear all kinds of numbers ranging from 60, 62, 65. So we'll just go in the 60s. And how sad that we can even say a million here, a million there, when we're talking about lives. But we'll just go with 62. And it's been estimated that over 40 million women have had an abortion. That's quite a few people. Planned Parenthood, we'll just go with their number for now, whether that's true or not, I, whether you trust them or not, we'll just go with their numbers, say that roughly one out of four women will have had an abortion by the time they reach age 45. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Maybe some of you are listening today, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Or maybe some that um, um, your neighbors, your relatives, people in your church. So what happens after 20, what happens this year? There are high hopes amongst pro-lifers that Roe versus Wade will be overturned this year. That looks like a good possibility. We'll be severely disappointed if it doesn't. And indeed, we have, as pro-lifers, we have been working for a long time helping women, trying to get state laws passed. And it seems like every time there's a state law passed restricting abortion, it gets overturned at the Supreme Court. Any meaningful, we just are chip, have been chipping away at the edges for 49 years now. But it looks like there's going to be an overturning of Roe versus Wade. And there's all kinds of bills out there. A heartbeat, once a heartbeat is detected, that uh, the baby would have a right to life. And that's pretty early. You know, a lot of times that heartbeat can be detected just three, three weeks or so into the pregnancy. And in, in essence, in essence, that would pretty much do away with, shall we say, medical abortions or abortions you get in a clinic. There'd probably still be a lot of people who take the pill right after uh, uh you know, regularly to make to abort that way, but uh, <clears throat> but in terms of going into the clinics and having a procedure done, that would probably be pretty much over if that happens in many of these states. Now, Roe versus Wade, if that's overturned, understand that does not make abortion illegal. 
All that does is let each state decide what laws they will have. I imagine some of these deep blue states like New York and California will continue to have pretty very liberal abortion laws. But a lot of the red states will be just very different. They'll, basically, they'll have these heartbeat laws and they'll essentially outlaw abortion, at least in clinics. But does that mean the battle's over? I'd like to share a story about that I think depicts the next generation. And it's, it's both hopeful and alarming. I was at the University of Florida preaching just a few years ago, and we, this topic comes up, as it often does on campus. And there was a, a sweet young girl there who was kind of interacting with me, pleasant girl, pleasant student, and she made the comment that she would never have an abortion, but she would never try and stop someone else from having an abortion. That's an interesting comment. I asked her why she wouldn't have an abortion. You know, is it like, why wouldn't she do that? And, and without even thinking, she says, well, I wouldn't want to kill my baby. And I asked, well, you wouldn't want to kill your baby, but you're okay with someone else killing their baby? And it's like the light went on. She hadn't thought of it in those terms. And how can that be? How can someone say, I would never kill my baby, but if you have an abortion, you're not killing your baby? Well, she, she thought about it. And she said, well, she doesn't think it's a baby. If a, if a woman has an abortion, she doesn't think it's a baby. I think it's a baby. She doesn't. So, so in other words, understand that this postmodern generation, it drives you nuts, this loss of objective truth. It's either a baby or it's not. It's not a baby because you think it's a baby, and it's not a not a baby because you don't think it's a baby. It either is or it isn't. And the more she thought about it, she began to see that. And indeed, what am I pointing out? There's a great need for us to be educating the next generation. The positive thing, this generation has seen the horrors of abortion. They've seen how many of their own brother, you know, peers no longer exist. They never saw the light of the day. And there is, a, there is a strongly growing belief. And with all the scientific information we have and the fetal development that we now have, that so much more than what we realized in 1973. There is now a, far, a growing sentiment to young, young people that abortion is not a good thing. It is taking the life of a human being. But why are they okay with it? Even though they're personally against abortion, a growing number of them, perhaps the majority of them, they're not, they wouldn't be against it legally. They wouldn't be against it for someone else. Why? Well, let's realize something, pro-lifers, and we do need to realize this. This issue of abortion legitimately pits two important rights against one another. We focus on the right of the baby to live. The other side focuses on the right of a woman to have control of her own body. That's a legitimate concern. We, need, we dare not deny that. They have fed this propaganda, and so many believe it, that like us men, or the men in the Senate, or the men in the Supreme Court, or whatever, to want to control women's bodies. I hear this on campus. People say to me, you know, Tom, you, you just want to control women's bodies, don't you? And I think to myself, that's the last thing I want to do. That's 
That's the last thing I want to do. I, I don't even know these women. I have no desire to control their bodies. I have no desire to tell them what to do. They, 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 it's their, it's their life. It's not mine. I have no desire to control anybody else. I want people to come to God. I want them to come under God's leadership and submit to the Lord, but I want them to make that decision on their own. I have no desire to control someone's body. But on the other hand, that's pitting these two rights, a, a right of a woman to control her body, the right of the baby to live. So how do you respond to these two things? Number one, I do recognize that legitimate desire of a woman. I, it, to, to have a pregnancy and to carry a child to birth, that is, that, that's going to affect your life forever. Once you're pregnant, of course, that's going to affect your life forever, but it, it may affect your schooling. Your, you may get sick with the morning sickness. You may have all kinds of changes in your body. You have a child you'll bring into the world. There's no doubt about it that having being pregnant is a major change required in a woman's body, life. And I don't want to force that on a woman. On the other hand, we what we do want to stand for is the protection of the innocent. Because yes, pregnancy is a significant inconvenience in a person's life if they don't want to be pregnant. It's, it requires significant changes, but which will prevail. That I won't be inconvenienced, that I won't have my life interrupted by another person's life, or that I get to kill them and they don't have the right to live because they would be interrupting my life. Stop and think what that sounds like. And when you put it that way, most students suddenly become pro-life. Yeah, you don't have a right to kill someone because they would interfere with your life. You don't have a right to kill someone because they make your life inconvenient. I mean, just stop and think. You don't have a right to kill someone because they take the last parking space in the parking lot. You don't have a right to kill someone because they, 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 they you know, you, you wanted that place on the freeway and they, they beat you to it. You don't have a right to kill someone because they're only accepting 50 people into this uh, particular program at, at, at college and you're number 51. And if you just go kill one of the others in front of you, you would now qualify for the program. You'd be in the top 50. You don't have the right to kill someone for that. You don't have the right to kill anyone because they inconvenience your life. This is where the right to life is the, is the more uh, trumps the right to certain conveniences and certain freedoms of life. Because sometimes what we have here in the pro-life, two legitimate rights clash with one another. <clears throat> Which one will prevail in 2022? I'm not just talking about legally at the Supreme Court. I'm talking about in the minds of people. A few arguments I would make when I talk about this. Number one, realize when we discuss rights, the right of a woman and the right of the baby, the right of the woman to control her body, the right of the baby to live. Understand, number one, where do our rights come from? Our, our Declaration of Independence declares what we as Americans believe. You may not believe it, but this is what our founders and what our country has chosen to believe. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, <clears throat> that they are endowed by their creator. Never forget those three words. Many politicians fail to forget to say them. Some judges forget to recognize them. We are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Our rights do not come from ourselves, from the government. They don't come even from nature. They come from God. Understand, God would never give you the right to do what is wrong. In free will, you have the ability to do what's wrong, but if you do, you're held responsible. Governments should never give you the right to do what is wrong. If you do what is wrong, that is wrong, and there should be a consequence. We have, we have the ability to do wrong. We do not have the right to do wrong. And when you kill a child or you kill anyone, you have the ability to. You don't have the right to. That should never be guaranteed in our Constitution, the right to harm another person in that way. Number two, rights carry responsibilities. Yes, you have the right to control your body. You have the right to this. However, once you become pregnant, you have a responsibility. This young lady, at the, uh, the student at the University of Florida, and so many students today, it's such a focus on rights, and there's no focus on responsibilities. As a citizen of our country, and dare I say, as a human being under God, we do have certain rights, but we must balance those with responsibilities. In our culture today, the, fo the focus has become so much on what are my rights, my human rights, my civil rights. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. We've lost a sense of responsibilities. And indeed, this is seen so much in this pro-life versus pro-choice decision-making. Yes, you have rights, but yes, you have responsibilities. Number three, as Christians, we stand up for the oppressed. This is one reason that so many people are pro-choice. They personally are opposed to abortion, but they think this poor woman, she, she's doesn't have the money to raise a child. She's, it would disrupt her life. She doesn't, uh, you know, it would, it would, having a child, we're told, would ruin her life. And so they want to stand up for, the, for this poor woman who this pregnancy is going to ruin her life. Well, how about the child? I mean, the child has no voice. It, 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 no one wants someone's life to be hard. But is it not a greater thing that, that if you stand up for the press, you say no one wants an innocent person to be killed? Which would be worse, that someone has to have a difficult life or that someone has to have no life, that their life is ended? We've got to realize and we must speak up and we must say that if you want to protect the oppressed, if you want to help the, those who are oppressed, the most oppressed people in our culture today are the unborn who have no voice, no vote, no money, no power, and often are put to death and killed with no ramifications or consequences. Number four, we must restore marriage, the, the goodness of marriage and the goodness of having children. In our culture today, fewer and fewer people are getting married. The vast majority of people who have abortions are single people. Most married people, when they become pregnant, are excited about a child because the man and the wife, the husband and wife, are committed to one another and they're having a family. Most of the abortions are single persons. says, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make it without, uh, without a family? And I'm not ready for this. And all these excuses that they come up with. My friends, abortion is really a symptom of the sexual revolution and the, and the rampant sexual immorality in our culture today. I've often said, 
and, and I hope I'm proven wrong on this, but abortion was never going to really end until we restore the dignity of marriage and the shamefulness of premarital and extramarital sex. Those are not shamed anymore. Those are rejoiced. You go on a college campus, those are celebrated. The, the pressure to engage in, in, in sexual immorality is intense. Intense. It's a whole lot more pressure to, to have sexual, sexually immoral relationships than, than, than a positive, like to get good grades or to graduate or to, or to be responsible. The pressure to get wasted, to get drunk, and to have sex with even someone you don't know is intense. And believe me, as long as we, until we address this root issue of the rejection of God's moral standards and the being given over to sexual immorality and this sexual, the sex-saturated immoral culture, abortion is going to be out there. And we must address that. We must address the idea that children are an expensive hindrance rather than a reward and gift from God. We must address this idea that who wants a child? Look how much money they cost. Look how inconvenient. Look how all these negatives. And believe me, we've got to help. Yes, our children are difficult to raise. It's a worthwhile investment of your time, your life, your money. It's a necessary investment. It is how life happens. It's the first command of God. Be fruitful and multiply. And yes, as we obey God in something like this, it's difficult but it's rewarding, and we must remind, and we must speak up for that. Parents, I hope you don't walk around always complaining about how tough it is to, to be a parent, how tired you are, how expensive, anything like that. I hope you find your children a joy and a blessing at all stages, and you communicate it. Because there's a lot of communication out there saying it's not worth having kids. And if you believe it is worth it, speak up. Say it. Watch your attitudes. Watch what you communicate. Watch what you say. Watch your facial expressions when you're around others, when you're talking about your kids. They are a gift from God. They're a reward. They're a blessing. Make sure you express that to others. And then finally, if we want to prevail in 2022 or into the future, we must help these millions, tens of millions of women who've had abortions. I mean, you just stop and think what that must do to a woman. The pain that she would have. The, the suppression of truth, the suppression of that pain, the, the, the needing to justify what she's done, how that affects her politically, how that affects her emotionally, how that affects her depression, how that affects her mental health, how that affects her willingness to come to God, her spiritual, her, her sense of guilt and shame. All of these things, can you just stop and think, there are tens of millions of women in our country today who are suppressing these very feelings. Could this relate to this explosion of depression amongst women? Could this, this issue relate to the explosion of mental health issues amongst women? Could this, could this uh, abortion relate to the, you know, the, the gender gap of politically amongst women? On and on you go, the ramifications of this. What's the answer? The gospel. The gospel, we, all, we have all sinned. And, all, and some sin is, no doubt about it, more shameful than others. Some people boast about their sin. Others, you know, other sins, we hide it. It's shameful. We're guilty. We feel bad. We feel we've done something terrible. The gospel allows people to be restored, to walk in the light, to begin to have healing in their 
minds and their souls. The gospel is not just you get forgiven and you get to go to heaven someday. It restores the soul now. And so, my friends, of course, I trust me. Trust me on this one. In your church, unless you're in a very small church, in your church, there's most likely a number of women who've had abortions. There are probably women in your family, extended family, who've had abortions. There are definitely women in your neighborhood who have had abortions. They're hurting. They're suppressing this. There's a guilt. There's a shame that, that only the gospel can address. And indeed, as we've seen so many times, the gospel is the answer for our country, our, our communities, our indiv individuals, and for the world. And so we've got to be sharing it. Father in heaven, we come to you today on this 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade and the legalization of abortion. Such a shameful thing, such a, such a black mark upon our nation. And the ramifications have been so terrifying and horrifying. Father, we pray for repentance in our land. We pray for, we want to ask, Father, for legal remedy. We do pray the Supreme Court would overturn Roe versus Wade, and we believe, we pray that one state after another would uh, restrict laws that will, in, it would institute laws that would protect the innocent unborn. We pray for this, Father. We ask for it in Jesus' name, and we are, we're, we're hoping in this. Father, hear our prayer. We pray we'd not be disappointed in this. We pray for each Supreme Court justice. Watch over them. Father, protect them from, from people blackmailing them or, or, or getting to them personally or threatening them that would cause them to rule unjustly. I pray for our Supreme Court justices. Watch over, protect them, protect their thinking, protect their families, protect them. Might they rule rightly and justly. But we also pray, Father, for this whole culture of ours that's come to accept that, that abortion is okay, that a, a woman, uh, if a woman needs to have one, it may not be good, but she can, and to defend and protect that. I pray, Father, for a true understanding and growth, a fear of God, an honor of God, a recognition. Our rights come to you from you. We don't have the, we're not secular humanists that I have the right to do whatever I want, but we have the rights you've given us and the responsibilities you've given us. We pray today, Father, there would be a restoration in our land of the goodness of marriage and of, and of uh, fidelity in marriage and faithfulness in marriage. We pray, Father, that people would begin to see, and as they are seeing more and more, that the sexual anarchy in our world today, it's, it, it's how destructive it is. We pray for a repentance. Lord, we ask for a national repentance, but we know it begins in each community, each family. It begins in our churches. Lord, many of our churches need to repent of this. Many of our churches need to take a more righteous stand for what you say about sexuality and children and honoring children and loving children and seeing that, that, that they're, not a, they're not a problem, they're a blessing. We pray, Father, today for the many women, some may be listening to me right now, who've, who've actually had abortions or counseled others or been part, and the men who've who've uh, paid for them or encouraged them or even threatened a woman to get one. Father, give us a spirit of repentance. Give us a spirit of forgiveness. Help us to come to Jesus and be open to walk in the light. Turn our shame and our guilt. Take it away. Make us new. Make us fresh. 
keep us keep people from the the mental illness and the confused thinking that comes from shame and guilt lord we pray for a great revival we pray for the gospel to bring salvation forgiveness and healing into the life and the people who who've uh, rather than lord the shameful things we've done in our past but we'd stand up and speak the, our testimony clearly maybe preventing others from the same activity in the future we pray these things we bless you we we repent as as individuals repent repent as a nation for what we've done and we pray father that you would once again there be a fear of god you'd reestablish in our legal system a protection of the innocent and deliver us from the anarchy sexual anarchy legal anarchy that is engulfing our country and might we know we acknowledge lord that where this really needs to the hope of our land is the gospel and we pray it will go forth stronger and stronger and stronger and we ask this in jesus name amen amen and amen god bless you went a little long today so if this is your first time with us i want to invite you back we're here every morning 8 30 a.m live and then you can listen later or on the podcast apple spotify or google platforms you can join us in i pray you would because this is a time of daily encouragement daily input of the word of god daily talking about the issues of our day and what it means to follow christ in our day so i hope if you're new you subscribe and uh and and, and hit the notify like i said we're normally 15 minutes we went a little longer today as i had a lot to say i hope you join us every day come back share with your friends post on your social media and uh and and so on i hope to see you tomorrow sunday god bless you you have a great day walk in the spirit be triumphant. Remember, the ideas we propose and the hopes that we will prevail, it starts one person at a time. It starts with you. Be, be, uh, as you think right, walk right, stand right, and are courageous for God, well, <clears throat> revival comes as millions of us do that. It starts with one and spreads to millions. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. 